Saturday Night Live with Jonah Hill is over, but we are just getting started here on the SNL Post Show Recap. And now, here are the two guys who are the key witnesses in the Eric McCormick murder trial. I'm Rob Sestrino, and filling in for Rich Tackenberg, it's Mike Bloom. You know, when you give me that invocation, Rob, I feel like that's the closest I'll ever get to Don Pardo announcing my name. So I'm always filled with some sort of glee when you say my name. Much more glee than I had watching this episode of SNL, unfortunately. Don Pardo or J.B. Smoove? J- a combination of John Don Pardo, J.B. Smoove, with a, with a little bit of Daryl Hammond thrown in there right at the very end. <laughs> no, see, I'm disappointed to hear that you were down on this episode because I was probably higher on this episode than I am most weeks. Really? I'm intrigued to know why. Okay, so I think we'll have a fun conversation here tonight talking about Jonah Hill's fourth time out hosting SNL. And then also we'll get an update from James Keese talking about the musical stylings of one of Mike's favorite artists, Future. Yeah, I'm excited. We're bringing the future to the present this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so Mike, how are you doing? tired yeah I need a nap no i'm doing i'm doing well uh i'm i'm flattered to be given the opportunity to come on and talk about and nerd out about comedy with snl and i, I will say you know in spite of it being a not so great episode i do feel like on the whole this season and this cast have been absolutely knocking it out of the park uh, the larry david episode in particular that you guys talked about a couple of weeks ago might be my favorite episode from like the past two or three years so you know what? I, I find there's you can oftentimes even have uh, more discussion about bad comedy than good comedy sometimes in terms of dissecting what might have gone wrong. So I'm thrilled for a discussion either way on this episode. OK, well, let's start off with the cold open, which was a CNN send up trying to catch up on all of the political happenings from the last time they had an SNL, which has been a lot because, I mean, you could almost do an SNL five nights a week right now between everything that goes on with this uh, political election. And maybe that this is this sketch. It seemed like that this was a bit of a catch all with three different things going on. Yeah, this is comparable to, you know, your your old Piers Morgan live or sometimes they did it on Nancy Grace as well, where you have like two or three recurring correspondents. I do agree with your initial statement about there was a lot of stuff specifically in the Republican field that happened the past few weeks. And you know, I would almost advocate for the bringing back of Thursday Night Live. I know it's it's we're not in election season particularly yet, but I feel like there's there's just so much comedic potential to be brought in this 2016 race, which it's very interesting to see Mitt Romney come back here because as much as I love Sadiq's and I feel like he's a very underrated cast member of the past few years, I feel like his Mitt Romney impression to me was almost a reminder of how dull the 2012 election coverage was in comparison. Yeah, I don't really remember any major skits of Mitt Romney from 2012, but I was really impressed by the Sudeikis Mitt Romney impression. Like, oh, he does a really good Mitt Romney. I really was uh, like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. And I I'd forgotten that, you know, in spite of Mitt Romney not kind of being a blase candidate overall, I think Sudeikis was actually able to create some sort of character out of him. And he was able to bring that in here a little bit, you know, talking about how he was swearing and saying sucker and and praying for forgiveness from joseph smith and you know providing very just white bland american terms uh i'd forgotten as you said for the past four years what jason sudeikis as mitt romney was i don't think i need him to come back uh but you know mitt romney was relevant in the news this week so I, i guess they thought it was a great time to sort of bring him back to the stage okay so let's just talk through the things that we saw here in this cold open uh we had the return of 
Donald Trump and Daryl Hammonds as Donald Trump uh, once again. And we use the Chris Christie showing up. And I'm not, I don't remember what day uh, this was, whether it was on Super Tuesday or it was maybe even earlier. But uh, we have uh, Bobby Moynihan reprising his uh, Chris Christie and then uh, repeating repeatedly. Uh, Thank you, sir. May I have another? Probably not as funny as a vine that I saw going around of uh, Chris Christie standing behind Donald Trump with the Curb Your Enthusiasm music. Yeah, I think I saw that, too. And I thought that was just amazing, though. You know, this is something that SNL sort of has to check off all the boxes on, even though, again, they've been away for a few weeks. This is something that they have to address. And I thought it was a it was a pretty good attempt. Uh, I do like Bobby Moynihan's Chris Christie as well. And, you know, we, we got a little bit of a catch all with Trump, even in this segment with him saying, you know, P.S. America, I've got a great, huge, large dick which will be talked about more in Weekend Update, obviously. But it seemed like they tried to get in as much Trump stuff as possible in that truncated, like, two-minute segment. Yeah. Hillary uh, shows up with Kate McKinnon, or as Kate McKinnon shows up as Hillary, and uh, she's talking about all the people that are standing behind her. They were all punched in the nose at a Trump rally, uh, which was funny. Um, You know, not any major laughs, I felt like, with the Kate McKinnon-Hillary here. Now, Hillary's best, or Kate McKinnon's Hillary is best when she is a little manic. Here she wasn't terribly manic as much as she was excited. We did get a little bit of shades of her previous characterizations when she talks about how she bought a stormtrooper coat uh, in, <laughs> in celebration. And I did notice, you know, I was think, looking at the back saying like, wow, there's a lot of minorities in, behind Hillary. So I'm really glad that she did point out, you know, just like I brought these 10 black people and one Muslim person behind me tonight on this stage. So I agree a little bit of a more mild mannered Hillary, especially since the last time we saw her, she was singing, I can't make you love me while popping out of tables in a restaurant. But eh, it's, it's still a welcome appearance, in my opinion. Yeah, we had another Ted Cruz sighting. Boy, uh, SNL is really hard on Ted Cruz. <laughs> they really just going after that. Ted Cruz is an unsightly person, a very, very mean for a way for SNL to cover Ted Cruz. Yeah, it's tough because, again, with this age of, you know, multiple candidates, you really have to find something to glom onto. And Ted Cruz just sort of has that. I mean, he'll be called a fat Dracula (laughs) hour on television, uh, which I actually loved. But Terrence Ted Cruz is something that I'm I'm still kind of warming over. I feel like, you know, he he was in the cold open a few weeks ago. But other than that, we really haven't seen him do too much. My favorite part of his by far is still his laugh, which, again, is one of those like Will Ferrell is George W. Bush, like not exactly an impression as much as it is sort of a blown out characterization of his. Though I do like them sort of mentioning the the white booger that was on Ted Cruz's <laughs> lip that he happened to eat during the debate. I do think that Ted Cruz impression is getting better and better every time he does it. I think it's just because, again, Ted Cruz is so <laughs> unsightly and Taron Killam is a very handsome man. Uh, I mean, part of me kind of wishes they've got Bobby and they put him in through like some rigorous prosthetics. They'd probably be a lot harder to get on and off, but I feel like they do more of a job than Tara is right now. <laughs> yeah, and then we have uh, the probably longest piece with uh, Mitt Romney, and again, very excited to see uh, Sudeikis back there. He had some really great lines uh, about the uh, not saying the racist and sexist things. Uh, we imply them. Uh, he talks about how, uh, you know, Donald Trump is a fool and uh, ultimately do, does he think that his words had an impact on anybody? Uh, no, it probably helped. Yeah. I, again, you know, I, I like the appearance. Uh, I don't know if we need to see it yet again, but you know, it, it's a, 
I'm, I think I saw around the internet that once they saw Mitt Romney was in the news again, people were wondering, was Sudeikis going to come back? So I'm happy that he was able to, to grace the floors of Studio 8H for an evening. And hey, not to spoil the good nights too much, but Rich, you can sleep soundly tonight. He did stay all the way through to the end of the night. So he is a good alumni in that perspective. Okay, let's get into the monologue and the return of Jonah Hill. Mike, are you a big Jonah Hill guy? So Jonah Hill on SNL is really interesting to me because I was I was thinking about in preparation for this, for this podcast, his previous appearances, and this was his fourth, oh, not four and one sixteenth, a lot of McCarthy. Uh, he appeared in 2008, 2012, and most recently in 2014. And I was trying to think about, you know, what are some notable Jonah Hill on SNL sketches? And outside of that one kid, Adam, the, the Benny Hanna kid, I didn't really think of many. And it, it made me think that, you know, Jonah Hill's a comedic actor. He's very game. And I feel like even in this episode, he was totally game for everything that was thrown at him. But there just weren't too many memorable things that were written for him. Or at least it seems like there's a running theme on SNL where the 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 running Jonah Hill sketch seems to be, let's have some sort of straightforward situation and then completely humiliate Jonah Hill's character throughout. And that's going to happen several times throughout this episode. But going in, I was I was like fairly excited because, again, he's a comic actor and, and he knows how to deliver lines. But starting off with this monologue uh, definitely got us off on the wrong foot here. <laughs> so there was some interesting things in the monologue. And again, it does seem like that there are a bunch of things sort of spliced together, which we always feel like is a sign that they didn't have one really good idea so they said okay let's just try a little bit of everything and we started answering questions what was with the uh very tense conversation between kyle mooney and jonah hill uh that prompted jonah hill to say to kyle mooney uh about how uh i I really love your videos they remind me of how much i miss andy samberg yeah, so this was a weird way to even start out the monologue when he comes out and he's like, he just jumps into basically lampshading. I'm not here to promote anything. You know, he said he was in a brief role in Hail Caesar, but pretty much he's done nothing around this time period. And so it is interesting to jump right to Kyle asking, you know, what are you doing here? And then have them sort of fight. I feel like, as you said, if this was the entire monologue, it would have been drawn out with a few more questions. And I, I would have liked that a lot more than you know, Jonah Hill trying to seriously rap with future as, as much as a, a nouveau idea as that was. And I'm, I'm all for, let's not do the song and dance. Let's not do entirely questions from the audience. You know, let, let's try to jazz the monologue up a little bit. It just felt, as you said, very disjointed. Like we're cobbling together two completely different monologues into one cohesive five minute piece. Yeah. Overall, uh, not the most exciting and or memorable monologue from Jonah Hill. But, you know, we we move on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say, do you think can you remember off the top of your head? Is this the worst monologue we've had? Not worst non-Trump monologue we've had so far this year, <sighs> this year. I don't know. Yeah, I should say. I I mean, I don't think it was brutal. I mean, I feel like that there are many more monologues that I'm like, I just can't wait for this to be over as opposed to this, which I felt like was just not super memorable as opposed to something that was actually bad. Yeah, I would I would still put this above, you know, Jim Parsons disastrous monologue from last season, but I would still call it sort of bottom of the barrel here. It wasn't cringeworthy it was more so just me looking at my watch saying okay what what's going to happen next yeah 
again, I think there was a couple of uh, funny moments between uh, Jonah Hill and Future, but I can understand if it's not really uh, your thing. So then we had a sketch, which were a commercial, which turned out to be the card was racists for Trump at the end. And Mike, I really thought that this was a really inspired ad with a uh, very clever misdirect uh, that's revealed in the middle. Yeah, I love the setup of this where it cuts to, you know, six different people and how for each of these six different people, they show how they are a bigot or a racist. Um, I think some hit and some missed. You know, you, you definitely want to try to heighten as you ascend through these different people. And so, you know, you have Taryn do the, the arm move with the Nazi armband. I thought that was great. Vanessa's ironing a KKK hood. That's great. I feel like Bobby painting the white power on the house might have been a little bit of a step back. I didn't feel like that was as extreme as, for example, Kyle Mooney using wood to burn a cross. Um, I also liked the inclusion of Steve Harvey's picture on A.D. Bryant's conspiracy board. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I will say is that, so I, I really like this commercial parody as well, but I don't know, it's it's tough for me personally to sort of look at this Trump humor because, again, you have to say, guys, four months ago, this guy was on your show. You know, you can try to save face with the American public as much as you want to by making fun of this guy, but the fact is, you might be kind of part of the problem in having your network comply to have him host your hour and a half show a few months ago. Yeah, but in the news this week was when, you know, Trump was asked about the whole David Duke thing. So I think it is sort of topical now. I think that there were certainly everything with the wall at that point in time was known back in November or October when he hosted the show. But I think that this is really in the news right now where he had that interview where he wouldn't disavow. At least he claimed that he could not hear them in the with the other groups or with the earpiece. But uh, I I understand what you're saying, but I think that it, it is certainly in the zeitgeist now. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I mean, I, again, I feel like Trump is, is a is a gold mine when it comes to this type of comedic content. It just makes me sort of, again, look back to the fall and say, you know, is NBC right now regretting their decision to have him on? Or are they just going to try to sweep it as much under the rug as possible and then just try to lambast him as much as they can in the coming months? I don't think that NBC is regretting anything that maybe some of the people that work on SNL are feeling like, OK, well, now we can really fire away at this guy and maybe that they were sort of like uh, unable to at least in the weeks leading up to him being on the show they sort of had to measure their shots a little bit more but now clearly the gloves have come off yeah no the gloves are off they are returned to the store They're, they got their refund and they are spending their money wisely on on anti-trump propaganda at this point yes the gloves have come off and uh, the gloves for Donald Trump, uh, we don't need to talk about what size those gloves are. No, uh, I don't know if they're the same size as OJ's Believe gloves. Believe me, but. they're fine. They're, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> the, the size of the gloves, they are not a size small. Trust me. Definitely, definitely not. Trust me. Okay. Let's talk about the action news uh, for uh, Fond du Lac. Yes. So this is one where I feel like the game of the scene was very muddled. I was trying to figure out, is the game that they're all, they all have funny Midwestern accents? Is the game that they're all incompetent at their job? I was really, I feel like they were juggling a few different things. And I feel like there were like little nuggets of a sketch that could have been taken out and could have made a great sketch. I would say overall, my thoughts on this episode is that it almost feels like an unsalted or an overly salted meal. 
in that like I it, like if you scaled it back in terms of the seasoning, like it would it would taste pretty good and you'd enjoy it. But if you add in too much time, you added too much characters, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it becomes overly salty and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I really enjoyed parts of this. My the highlight might have been Taron Killam as the old man reading the lottery numbers. But that, that being said, I think there was just there was like too much going on in, in this uh, in this sketch, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually did like this, and I think that maybe this might have been one that we file away under more fun than funny. But I felt like that they established a world, and then we really got to see what it was like for all of these characters to live in this world. And I don't know if there is like a clean. I can tell you exactly what the game in this scene was, but I would think that to me, it was just a little bit of a window into a world where the news is not taken as seriously. The local news does not have the gravitas uh, that it has in a major market. And people are sort of very leisurely going through their job there in uh, Wisconsin going through the news. So I did feel like that all of the characters I thought were all very fun in this scene. Yeah, I'd agree. I think the you, you can pick out certain lines and parts of this the sketch that I really liked as well. I loved cutting to A.D. Bryant as Barb, like this sort of field correspondent. And then it just turns into this conversation where Cecily is just telling a story about talking to somebody. And then they say like, OK, thanks, Barb. And it turns out Barb didn't say anything. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the stories that they told as well. Again, they were very character-based, which I, I thought just spoke perfectly to that individual game of the scene. Uh, I was also sort of, I liked, but was also simultaneously confused by the alternating mug shots of Bobby Moynihan as the sex offender <laughs> the who I initially, thought was, I initially thought it was Stephen Avery at first. I was thinking like, okay, Wisconsin, arrested man, we're thinking about, you know, uh, a making a murderer type of thing, but... It turns out that they, I guess he did like a photo shoot or something because they kept referring back to him and he kept being in different photo poses, which was a nice detail, I thought. Yeah, so I thought it was a, a pretty fun sketch. It probably won't be brought back, but uh, it was a, at least they, they tried something there. Okay, let's talk about one of the, back in the day, we'd call this a digital short. I don't know what we call it now other than a pre-tape piece. Uh, this one is called The Champ. And it is another story which takes a bit of a misdirect about halfway through after Jonah Hill comes back from the wrestling match. And then there is a local news story about how everybody just had to pretend that he was the winner to make him feel good. Yeah. So this was one of those sketches that I feel like if you cut it off after the first like minute, if after you after Cecily Strong says, and in the news today, our star wrestler was uh, purposely lost to the biggest loser in school. And they did a couple things about that and ended it. I feel like it would have been perfect. Uh, but then they sort of dragged it on. I thought the setup to the reveal was awesome. They took their time. They did this entire, you know, I, it was definitely channels of uh, Friday Night Lights. Mm -hmm. And then uh, to have Cecily sort of give the big reveal was fun. Uh, a couple things I didn't like. I, didn't, I wasn't sure about Keenan playing the Hispanic janitor. Uh, I think David Ortiz is the limit, I'm going to say, with Keenan Thompson playing other races. Uh, I did like the details about like, you know, the, how he was a loser with the pumpkin with a little hole. <laughs> Very small. And, and this is the first time that we're going to, surprisingly, the first of a couple times we're going to be talking about how Jonah Hill's character poops his pants and leaves his pants in the trash. Uh, so I, I like those types of details, but then they like, I feel like they were running out of steam a little bit. They had to go 
back to the janitor for some reason which <laughs> yeah, I felt like they probably didn't need to go back to the janitor the second time about how yeah. he thinks he's my friend he's my best friend but he's not my friend <laughs> yeah and I, and I I thought the you know the twin murder next door by Will and Grace's Eric McCormack was that sort of Tip SNL brand of random funny, but I don't know if it necessarily fit into the sketch. You know, like I feel like if they had just said like it doesn't, this why is this the top story? You know, there was a robbery tonight. It doesn't need to be so hyper randomly specific. No, uh, I did like Cecily's last line of you know, and and also in the news, it's twins that were murdered by Eric McCormack. Uh, so that was a nice capper, though. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I think it was probably a little bit too fat. I think they probably could have lost at least, you know, 10% out of this and probably out of the second time they went back to Keenan at the school. But overall, I, I really, really enjoyed this sketch. I thought that this might have been maybe the sketch of the night. I, I really did like this one. I'd like to go back and watch it again. It was really, really fun to me. And I just really liked the, the misdirect. And and then everybody just sort of like uh, playing along. And again, uh, we talk a lot about Vanessa in these pre-taped sketches. Uh, she was really good here as the mom. And I love the Eric McCormick reference. First of two Eric McCormick mentions in this episode, right? Yeah, the, probably the first two mentions in the 2010s of Eric McCormack. <laughs> Congratulations, you're in the Zeitgeist again. Yeah, I wonder if they have like a deck of like uh, cards against humanity that they just draw randomly. It's like, okay, who can get this reference into the most sketches? Yeah, I think it's just they had a bunch of leftover Stefan Q cards that had those random names that John Mulaney put on them. And they just decided to let's use as many nouns as possible in all these sketches now that Hater and Mulaney are gone. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the senior auction here. And uh, this is a sketch in which uh, there are high school seniors being put up for auction and then some uh, Middle Eastern oil tycoons are showing up and bidding on the different high school seniors. So again, this was another one that I felt like could have been cut off like halfway through. I thought the randomness of having Jonah Hill play this representative to the Sultan of Qatar uh, and sort of explain why he needs the emojis with their hit song, I Got a Crush on Kevin, to perform for the princess. I thought that was, like, very fun. I thought there was a nice little sub-game going on with Beck Bennett saying, well, I don't want my daughter to go, and he says, I'll pay you $500,000. Um, so I like that stuff. I feel like when we move on to the Dem Boys Do Dunks, I feel like we're just playing the same thing again, even when you add Tarrant Gillum in there. Uh, I didn't feel like the sketch necessarily went anywhere so again this is one that i feel like was also a little too fat though i did like the first half of it if i could channel rich tonight i think this would be my uh boy of the night because i uh, did not even understand the concept of this sketch of like you have okay the emojis are some high school group but they have a hit single on youtube which is so popular that there are wealthy families in the Middle East that are watching these videos and want the emoji. Like you would think that with this amount of money, they could attract any musical act to come there and play for them. But they, this band is such a breakout on YouTube. They want the emojis. And in this same high school, in this same high school auction, also there is a vine 
phenomenon breakout of uh, Dem Boys do dunks. What is this? The Amazing Race 28? How is it possible that there are these social media superstars all at this high school? Yeah, they're braiding them at this point in this high school. I, I agree. I think it was also a little clunky given circumstances at the beginning of the sketch when A.D. Bryant basically had a wall of text saying, hey, here are these three people. They produced a video that had 300,000 hits, but we're not going to see it. Uh, and I, I understand you have to sort of set it up for the the concept. But yeah, again, it's weird that I agree that there was also another, you know, uh, quote unquote, internet superstar that a group that exists in this high school as well. Um, I do like the capper of 80 saying, you know, pointing out, well, now our school, our senior carnival's budget is $6 million. Uh, but again, I, I, I feel like I personally think that this scene had legs for the first like minute of it. And then those legs completely fell off afterwards. Yeah. So overall, I feel like I was out on the Oak Ridge uh, senior auction. Okay. Let's talk about our first appearance of future in the night, or at least our first uh, solo shot of future after he performed with Jonah Hill. Uh, And let's turn it over to James Keese to earlier tonight had this to say about Future and his musical stylings on SNL. Hey guys, sorry I'm not able to be there tonight. So I'm here sending a message to the Future about Future. So Future, the rapper from Atlanta, had a big uh, SNL this week. He was all over the place. He was uh, he was performing Jumpman with Jonah Hill in the monologue. He was showing up during Weekend Update. And, uh, and he was inviting friends along for his performance. Uh, Future's sort of the most popular underground rapper in the world, I would say, right now. Uh, So he's not a household name in terms of the Saturday Night Live audience necessarily. But he has he did have three number one albums in the span of seven months uh, fairly recently. So I came on to do uh, Low Life uh, off of his most recent album, Evil. Uh, and uh, brought the weekend along. I think the weekend might be living at at Studio Eight H these days. Maybe he just crashes there when he's in New York. But uh, he's certainly uh, happy to show up on on other people's music appearances on Saturday Night Live. And it was a welcome appearance. Uh, I thought they both did a really good job. I really liked the live band. Uh, and uh, and Future as a rapper has really good control of his auto tune in terms of live performance, which is something that Kanye struggled with uh, a few weeks ago. So all in all, I thought Low Life was really good, and uh, it was great to see The Weeknd jumping on that uh, song as well. And uh, so for a second song, Future has plenty to choose from. In the last 14 months alone, he's made uh, two mixtapes, two albums, and uh, a collaborative album with Drake, uh, who didn't show up tonight. So he has plenty to choose from. For the second song, he went with March Madness uh, from last year's album, 56 Nights. This is a song that actually Kanye was advocating for uh, getting some Grammy attention for Future and for this song, March Madness, on Twitter and calling out the Grammys for being out of touch because Future wasn't nominated. So that was the track that he went with for his second. It is one of his best songs, and uh, and it's a good showcase of his skills. Again, the, the live band was excellent, although I couldn't really hear the guitarist, but the drummer was really good. And uh, yeah, all in all, a, a winning night for Future. I think he showed a lot of personality in, in doing the doing the bits during the show, and uh, certainly showed off what he could do uh, musically as well. So he is hugely popular, uh, but uh, he's certainly going to grow his audience this week. I will talk to you guys next week for the return of Ariana Grande. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Who wants-
<laughs> next week. Oh, God. I hope people send anthrax to 30 Rock just so we can prevent oh, Come on. Come on, Mike. Come on. Uh, well, as I, I do not think there's any chance he's going to be getting in a sketch. So, so that's good. Even with Ariana as the, as the host, there is zero <laughs> chance on a non-CBS network that Frankie Grande is getting on that stage. They may just want to amp up the security to prevent him from running onto the stage at some point. That's true. They'll have to bind him to the chair that he's sitting in. <laughs> yes. All right. So then uh, let's talk about Weekend Update. And I thought this was one of the stronger Weekend Updates of the season as well. Yeah, I thought they knocked it out of the park. Um, I mean, there is a huge list of jokes that I wrote down just from Jost and Che themselves. I thought, as we talked about before, they had a lot of material to work with, but I thought I felt like they were both really, you know, running on. Uh, they were both running on full gas there, and I thought all the correspondence, you know, they they had middling to successful levels of uh, of comedy there. So I thought overall, again, people have been sort of meh on the Jost Che combo. I'm. Uh, very much in the thumbs up category. And I feel like this is sort of something that we can serve up to uh, really praise the, the pairing so far. Yeah. So a lot of stuff. Let's talk about OJ here uh, this week. Mike, are you following the OJ show on FX? I've been trying. I mean, it's been a little bit of history to me because I was, you know, like five to seven when this trial happened. So I even missed out on many circumstances at the time. So it's been it's been nice to look at my own little purveyance of 90s culture especially compared to something like fuller house <laughs> right uh, so a few really good uh, oj jokes uh including uh the joke about also which tied in ben carson uh leaving the race and it was a uh, a bad week for uh black guys who may have stabbed somebody uh which was very funny i did think that uh also a lot of fodder there with the uh donald trump does he have small hands uh material from this week absolutely i mean jost went into his his you know the the what seems to be the weekly rant now from one of them uh, about how you know you didn't need to talk about your penis size because i doubt women are so attracted to you that the penis size is the main question that's really keeping them from throwing themselves at you yeah and then and shay ties it into ben carson again by comparing him to lenny from of mice <laughs> and men which between that and the ted cruz fat dracula comment i feel like uh Che was on point with his metaphors this episode. <laughs> yeah, I think that these guys are really starting to turn a corner on the weekend update. Okay, so we had uh, three different segments uh, that we saw during a uh, weekend update. The first was the return of the girl that you wish you hadn't started a conversation with at a party. Mike, are you still on the bandwagon? Is this still fresh to you or do you feel like is this beginning to run its course? So I'm still on the bandwagon. I, I feel like I love Cecily's performance of it and I know it is as Rich says a little Mad Libs but I feel like you're able it's sort of like Drunk Uncle and Stefan it's something that you're able to do just because I feel like the character game is so strong with her that especially again in, in nowadays with the PC culture and all the stuff going on in the world today that you're really able to make a meal out of this character and also this is her first appearance of the season the last time oh. she appeared was all the way in the Reese Witherspoon episode I believe back at the end of last season so it hasn't been a full year, but I feel like it's been a while since we've seen her. So it's not like, you know, it's not a Jebediah Atkinson or even the, uh, and this was the news girl. Uh, we're not trotting her out every two weeks. So I think I think it was nice to see her for a week now. But uh, last time, I think there were like two months between her appearances. So 
We'll see if she makes an appearance again before the season finale. Yeah, I don't think that it's too tired or anything. I, I could have sworn that we saw it in the fall, but I thought that she was actually uh, really good here. And I thought she had a few uh, good lines. I did like uh, when uh, she was calling. Uh, I forget the friend's name. And that was her Uber driver who was circling around. So, you know, good job uh, here by Cecily. OK, then we had the Flossie Dickey segment. Now, in my research after the show, I found out that Flossie Dickey was a real person. And this was basically like a shot for shot remake of something that actually happened uh, recently. Yeah. So it was basically just building out that video. The, the video basically entails a news reporter talking to the now world's oldest woman. And all the woman wanted to talk about was how tired she was and how she wanted to take a nap. Do you want to hear but a I, clip from that? I would love to. Good morning. Yes, we are out here at the Cheney Care Center and I am sitting next to the woman on the front page of the Spokesman Review this morning. This is Flossie Dickey. And check it out, folks. We got her her very own Good Day Spokane coffee mug. She is enjoying some coffee this morning because, Flossie, you say you're a little tired this morning. Is that right? I am tired. She is very tired. That's actually, I heard, your favorite activity to do at the center here is to take, take a little nap. Take a nap many times as I can. As many times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, hard so- to really do a parody of that. I mean, you're basically like just like doing that video. But the thing is, is that you then take that character and you put the game in Vanessa's character, which I think they were actually really successful in doing. First, I have to sort of applaud them on this. Again, they were sort of handed this video on a silver platter, but it was a very new thing for them. Uh, You know, they didn't have somebody come to the update desk. They actually went to a field reporter, which I know we did the joke about the guy who says it's not too bad out (laughs) in the snowstorm a few weeks ago during uh, during the Jonas storm. But they don't really often... Yeah, they don't they don't really often do that at all. Uh, so I was happy to see that here. And I thought Vanessa and Kate both did a great job. I mean, I could see Kate McKinnon play an old woman any day of the week. And I thought Vanessa Bear, again, underrated MVP here. She did the perfect sort of straight man aggravation, especially when they keep coming back to her. Uh, there was that delightful moment where Vanessa just keep trying to push the microphone in Kate McKinnon's face. And the microphone just kept moving around her face. Uh, I was also surprised that there was another reference to the N-word this episode, Rob. I think there have been equal references to the N-word and Jonah Hill pooping his pants throughout and this Eric episode. Eric McCormick. Those and are the Eric big McCormick. three. Those, those are the big three that were picked out of the hat for this <laughs> week in terms of running themes. In the Cards Against Humanity game. Exactly. Uh, I also thought that it was fun how uh, Shay and Jost were really like, uh, seemed to be gleeful in like, no, oh, ask her this one more thing. And like, uh. <laughs> yeah, that was good. All right, then uh, let's talk about, uh, I think, probably the thing that most people are talking about after this episode, the Jay Farrow impression of the uh, black comedians meeting that was held. What did you think of this? So, I mean, on paper, it's tough to really say, oh, this is like an update correspondent. I know a lot of people that I saw on the Internet today were saying like, well, this is good, but I feel like this is just a way to trot out Jay Farrow's impressions. But to sort of counter that, I'll say, you know, what are Pete Davidson and Leslie Jones appearances? You know, we've seen it. We've seen stuff before where they're very loosely tied into the subject that they're supposed to be talking about just to give their stand up. And I feel like this is just another stand up bit from Jay. So I'd, I put it in with the same category. That being said, I really enjoyed this. I mean, I think a lot of people forget that Jay Farrow was a very good impressionist when he was brought on to SNL. 
And he hasn't been able to really do much outside of Obama and the occasional Denzel. But and I don't think he's been Obama once the entire year. I don't think I think he might have been at the very beginning, uh, but that might have been it. But here he's able to roll off Cat Williams, Kevin Hart, Dave Chappelle, Eddie Murphy, Tracy Morgan, Chris Tucker, Hannibal Burris and Bernie Mac. I mean, Chris I Rock. Think Chris Rock. Yeah, I, I think there's I, I mean, I think there's a range. Uh, I think the Chris Rock was probably my favorite one. Specifically I think so too. The, the specificity of him crossing the fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Chris Rock, I was actually pretty surprised there wasn't any Oscar talk. Uh, I know, you know, Chris Rock definitely made a big splash with his opening monologue and his, his sort of stingers throughout the show. But you would think that, you know, for being such a big thing leading up and, and quote unquote, the biggest event in TV outside of the Super Bowl that SNL would talk about it in at least some capacity. Well, they did an Oscar sketch uh, that there were no black nominees a couple of weeks yeah. ago. So I guess I guess I mean after. I mean, I don't know if there are any like buzzworthy moments that happened on the Oscars. I'm just surprised that it was nothing was really mentioned after the fact when the ceremony happened. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there was anything that I saw that I couldn't remember that was a uh, super big deal coming out of. I mean, there was so much outrage leading up to the Oscars. I don't know coming out of it if there was anything to really that was ripe for parody. Mm-hmm, that makes sense. All right. Uh, but the Jay Farrell thing, I, I mean, uh, I could watch that all day. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's just it's a fantastic reel for him. If you know, if he leaves SNL, he just needs to show that three minutes and he'll get booked in any sort of comedy uh, comedy joint in the world. Okay. Then let's go to our first post update sketch, uh, which is sort of like a murder mystery slash uh, clue game that's going on of who is the killer, which turns into really a lot of talk about Jonah Hill, what he was doing in the bathroom at the time of the murder. So this is very much in line with a sketch that he did the last time he was on, which was actually, I think the first post monologue sketch where he was on the dating show. And it was exactly the same thing about how he clogged the toilet. I don't know why this is Jonah Hill's type, but I guess this is this is what we're cornered into. So we have to talk about it. I mean, I think it was fine. I don't know. I I think, again, since we've seen this sketch before, it was very much plotting out the same beats. Everyone was giving their alibis. And then it turns out Jonah Hill did something embarrassing. I mean, uh, to his credit, Jonah Hill played it off well. I, I do like the line about, you know, I think Beck Bennett asked like, uh, you know what what's happened to the bath what's the state of the bathroom and Jonah Hill just goes oh my god not not good uh so I like that I didn't like the weird details about like the geese flying by and then they died and their eyes were crossed I feel like that might have been taking things a little too far but I mean it's a it's a very well-trodden path and they decided to tread over it once again with their big boots <laughs> I was just hoping that was going to be revealed that the murderer was Eric McCormick I think that's really that what they, the ace that they had in their pocket. If they were doing like the Z shirt type of thing from the Kevin Hart episode, they totally would have done that. But alas, they really missed the the Kevin the the Eric McCormack three peat there in this episode. <laughs> so I really did like the setup here, and you know I I was on board for the ride uh, with with Jonah Hill. I just felt like in terms of the logic of the scene, like I don't think it was ever really explained why Jonah Hill's character was. Uh, it doesn't seem like this happens to him routinely. It was like all of a sudden, like, uh, I don't know if you want to say this is a, an act of God that Jonah Hill's character was struck with this severe gastrointestinal distress and had to flush the toilet 22 times in the span of 90 minutes. I don't like I I feel like I wish we could have tied it all together. Like, did he eat the goose that had gunpowder 
on it was that what ultimately ended up happening so i felt like uh there there i like it when things like at the end is like oh well that makes sense of why that explains everything that was going on yeah it, it, it it's weird because again they set up a lot of given circumstances at the beginning i thought you know everyone played their part well i loved cecily's little sub game of like i'll do this i'm an american uh i thought that was fun but yeah, they didn't really describe anything about Jonah Hill's character except for he clogged the toilet for some reason. And he was very angry. He was questioning God about it while he was doing it. So, yeah, I agree. I think maybe filling in the blanks a little bit more might have had this sketch sort of uh, solidify a little more by the end of it. Whereas I felt it just felt very empty by the by the end of it. I thought, you know, I'm, let me go watch the dating show sketch instead, because while that one wasn't great i feel like it was a more well-done concept than this was okay so then uh let's talk about the return of inside socal now mike you have been a longtime fan of the good neighbor pieces and uh, the works of kyle mooney so i'll let you take the lead here on describing inside socal so inside socal it's a recurring sketch um i think this is maybe the third or fourth time they've done it they definitely did it last time when jonah hill was on uh, I, I like this actually, again, maybe it's because I'm, I'm a good neighbor apologist, but there's something that always gets me about these sketches specifically in the production quality and the little details that they do, like how in, you know, when they introduce things like world news, Kyle Mooney's still stuttering through it, uh, and how just the, the amateur quality of everything. And I, I, you know, I'm not from California, so maybe you can speak to this, whether it's actually true to, to raw, but I really like the, uh, just the, the general attitudes of everyone, how they all wear Hurley shirts um, and I, you know, th- there were definitely some good lines in here. I know the focus was generally about Jessica Cabara's breast reduction surgery, but <laughs> Jonah Hill, I, I, I thought he, he did actually did a really good job here when he says, you know, this is one of the least baller situations in recent memory and how the bros are having commemorative beer pong out in the, in the hospital waiting room. So it was weird. I like the Indian food section in particular. I thought that was like very keyed into the weird humor that this inside SoCal stuff is overall. I might be biased in it, but I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel like that this was probably one of my favorite of the inside SoCal uh, that they did. <laughs> you know, it's uh, I think that the uh, at least the subject matter, I feel like they had a lot to work with. Uh, no pun intended uh, to <laughs> go through. I feel like that these guys are being, you know, completely insensitive uh, to what Cecily's character is going through and sort of like treating this like a funeral and how nobody's going to ever hook up with uh, Jessica ever again. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, just the mourning that they're going through. So I thought it was a uh, inspired inside SoCal. Yeah. And I, again, I think the, the reason why it turned out better, because I agree, I think this is one of the best ones, is because it was so focused. I remember I actually watched the previous Jonah Hill one after I watched this episode for the first time, and it was very unfocused. There was cuts to random people. There were so many characters coming in and out, whereas this one seemed pretty focused. Again, while Taron Killam did have his little bit in the beginning and they did have the Indian food stuff, it was pretty much focused, as you said, on this one thing with Jessica. So I think they were able to milk a lot more out of the jokes and the characters from this one instance rather than sort of painting things with a wide brush. Yeah. All right. Then the final live sketch or the final sketch of the night is where Jonah Hill is working for Silver Star Caterers. And Mike, what were you munching on this? Did you smash this? Well, I mean, uh, this sketch almost felt like it was in the dumpster at Sam's (laughs) Club after a little while. This felt like a reject sketch from a Zach Galifianakis episode. (laughs) I, I couldn't get the sense of it, but I think, again, Jonah Hill was very game. I, I liked the, the affectations he put into his character, how he talked about 
how things were munched and <laughs> you know i granted it is pretty racy language but i liked when he, the verbs that he used when he talked about the bowl of m&ms was raped and the italian cookies were finger banged how he was just sort of going through the gamut but it was just i mean it's it's a very 10 to 1 sketch it was weird and it didn't necessarily work but jonah hill tried his best so i have to give him credit for that I actually did like this idea and this sketch. Uh, I think probably the uh, raping the M&Ms was too far. Maybe I would if they could have that one back. I think that maybe they should. But just talking about how they munched everything. They're trying to have their meeting. He's talking really loud. He's on the phone. He's like, hey, guys, I'm on a business call here. Uh, what did you think about the turn when the person he was talking to on the phone was being mugged? Yeah, I, that was that was, again, like a weird. It's like an Eric McCormack-esque weird detail that they just sort of threw in there as as a random game that i i thought derailed the scene a little bit because again as much as weird as it is i'm really concentrated on this character so to have him sort of be distracted by the his his partner on the phone being mugged but then it turns out he was mugging the person it was just another weird layer to add on top of the raped m&m bowl that was this sketch okay and i know it's a 10 to 1 sketch on snl can i nitpick a couple of things one why did they need so much catering for exactly. this meeting <laughs> i was there were five people and there were heaps of sandwiches <laughs> on these plates like these I don't know who they thought they were serving, but you also don't need to cater a, a, a late night meeting and for five people. Two, was the food really good or was the food bad? Well, Beck Bennett really enjoyed that one celery <laughs> stick and that right. set Jonah Hill off. But apparently the carrots were not good. And it turns out that it was all, you know, uh, from a from, you know, spoiled Sam's Club food. Uh, I guess so I guess so. I guess the answer is bad, but Bet Bennett enjoyed that one celery stick, I guess. But by the end of the sketch, they had to just go out to get pizza. I mean, how much food did these people need? What kind of binge eating gluttons are the five people in this meeting? There's so much food there. Well, they apparently need to let go of a lot of people. So clearly these are just very gluttonous <laughs> businessmen that just had to consume all the income and food in front of them. <laughs> all right. So, Mike, uh, let's talk about the goodbyes uh, that uh, Rich is not here. So you'll have to tell us, uh, was there a moat? Tell us, what did you see in the goodbyes? I'm not a moat expert, but I believe there wasn't a moat. I mean, again, Jonah Hill is probably one of the probably the most friendly hosts they have there. He's his fourth time, so he's been very friendly with the cast. He even shouts out the crew in his closing words saying, you know, this is the best crew I've ever worked with. Every time I'm here, they make me feel at home, uh, which, again, it probably lies counter to the fact that this crew is a crew that constantly paints him into sketches where he's pooped his pants. Uh, so I feel like there might be no love lost between them. But yeah, it seemed like everyone was really chummy. I did notice this weird thing that I hadn't noticed before where uh, Kyle Mooney, Taron Killam, and uh, John Rudnitsky all like jumped together at the same time. I wasn't sure exactly what that was or if they've done it before, but it was just a nice little detail to catch. But it seemed like a very chummy goodbyes overall. Okay. All right, Mike, talking through it, have you come around at all more on this Jonah Hill episode or are you even more emboldened that this was a bad episode? No, I thought there were again, I thought there were very good elements in these in these sketches overall. I think the problem with these sketches is that some of them dragged on for too long. Some of them added in too many weird things. I mean, if we're looking at the big power rankings of this season thus far, I would still put it near the bottom again, above Trump, maybe above a couple of other things. But that being said, I don't know if that speaks as much to the weakness of this show as much as it speaks to the strength of all the other episodes. Again, I think this is a very strong season. I would say this episode might even fly as a mid-range episode in some of the, the seasons that happened in the past couple of years. It's still SNL. 
I'm still going to enjoy it. Bring on Amanda Ariana Grande. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, piece that's on uh, Uproxx that Mike Ryan does that he has this scored out as the second worst show of the season, uh, just above Donald Trump in between uh, Ronda Rousey and Donald Trump. Maybe it's just been a good season I, I enjoyed uh, the show for the most part, especially the pre-update sketches uh, with the exception of the senior auction. I thought everything was uh, was pretty strong. So I can't nitpick uh, this one too much. Except for the final sketch, apparently. <laughs> well, I can nitpick stupid details, but I thought that overall <laughs> I was pretty much, you know, smiling and enjoying the show the entire time I was watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I still and again, weekend update, I feel like this might have been one of the strongest ones throughout the season. So if you have to watch this episode again, at least watch it for that weekend update, because, again, I thought they really did a great job overall with that. Yeah, I feel like the only sketch of the night that I feel like was a total miss was that senior auction. I feel like that everything else there, there was at least something redeemable in each of those sketches. Yeah, there there was a crumb in there and it's it's not a, an entire platter full of sandwiches like the Larry David episode was, but there's a there's at least a salacious crumb in there. Okay. All right, Mike, next week Ariana Grande is going to be there. Yes or no? Call your shot. Frankie Grande is on stage during the goodbyes. No, I, I, I don't think he'll be on stage during the goodbyes. He wasn't on stage. I know she was the musical guest during the Chris Pratt episode. I don't think they would let her bring her family up there. Ariana Grande is going to be interesting because uh, this might be one of the instances where the cast absolutely hates, hates the host. Um, I know those stories kind of went away in the past couple of years, but Ariana Grande is known for being a very big diva. To the point of where she says, do not film me from this side of the face. Assistant, carry me around like a baby. So it'll be interesting to see if, if there. Uh, that might be overblown. I don't know if that's ever been a actual factual story. Well, we'll see in the uh, live from New York edition from this, you know, this era that comes out in 15 years or so, whether there are horror stories about it. In terms of like her hosting potential, she is. She has done acting before, much like Miley Cyrus. She's done a couple of Nickelodeon shows. So Scream Queens. Up, yeah, Scream Queens as well. I Antonio Mazzaro does not want you to forget. Never forget Scream Queens. Yes, and I th- I thought she, you know, for the part that she was supposed to play, kind of the vapid uh, sorority girl, I thought she did a great job with it. So she might, you know, have one type of character to perform. But I think in terms of musical guests that have also served as hosts, I feel like she has the capabilities to do at least a decent job on SNL. Yeah, a couple of quick things that I think if she was that much of a problem and she's been a musical guest, I don't think that they would let her host the show. I think in that small sample size, they would say she's not that huge of a name that she's worth the aggravation if she's just a total pain in the ass. So that might be a little bit of just like a rumor mongering uh, with the Ariana Grande haters Uh, In terms of her as a comedian, I watched her over the summer when she did the impression roulette or impression slot machine with Jimmy Fallon. And she actually does like Christina Aguilera um, and Britney Spears. And so she does a lot of uh, voice impressions. So I wonder if she could be somebody like a Bruno Mars who did like the uh, they were like the when Pandora was broken or whatever. So I wonder if there's some way to utilize her in that way and maybe do some things where she's doing impressions of other musical artists. So We'll see. I'm going in with it with an open mind, but I, I will say that I, I bet Frankie Grande wild horses cannot keep him from that stage during the good nights. Well, we'll see if, if he's if he's not on the stage, we'll have one less problem then. 
Yeah. I also believe that Bobby Moynihan and Taryn Killam, I believe I have been, have tweeted in the past about the Big Brother live feed starting up. So I think that they are Big Brother fans. And if that's the case, then they probably hate Frankie Conn. <laughs> exactly. That's, I was going to say, you're, you're definitely not talking your way to them being fans and loving Frankie Conn. So it's, it's, it's a paradox either way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, Mike Bloom, great job this week. Thank uh, you. Thank you for having me on. I was I was thrilled to be here. I'm sad that that Rich was missing, but uh, I, I always relish the opportunity to talk with you, especially talking about comedy. So thank you again for having yeah, me on. Yeah, always fun. I don't think we've podcast what since we talked about the mall back in January. Yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a couple months in 2015, uh, 2016. Wow, but it's been a good 2016 so far, and hopefully. Ariana Grande will not mar this 2016. Okay. Uh, to hear more about everything Mike Bloom is doing, of course, follow him on Twitter. He is at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, Mike, what do you have going on these days? So Once Upon a Time is just starting back up, uh, season 5B. So on post-show recaps, I'm covering that with Kurt Clark. It's going to be a lot of fun. We are going to hell or purgatory uh so it's it's bound to be very very interesting either way and i cannot wait to dive into it and talk about it maybe eric mccormack will be there serving his sins for all the crimes he's committed in the past yeah that'll be very exciting to have the return of eric mccormack the year of eric mccormack well actually the the guy playing hades is the one of the guys from ali mcbeal so i feel like if there's a return for burgeoning 90s actors eric mccormack might as well hop on that train once upon a time is calling for you buddy yeah Eric McCormack, uh, verified on Twitter also. Oh, good. He's the real one then. <laughs> I, I wonder about all those fake Eric McCormack Twitter accounts. They probably all disappeared now. Yeah, 21 hours ago, Eric McCormack uh, tweeted, uh, the twins had it coming, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> well, at least he's playing into the joke, or maybe he's, uh, he's, he's parishioning for an, uh, an, uh, an SNL hosting gig. I mean, if Jonah Hill can host without any sort of project in the way, why not Eric McCormack? <laughs> yeah, so people are like, uh, well played, sir. Well struck, Eric McCormick. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Uh, Eric McCormick, his Twitter bio says, as Daniel Pierce rides off into the sunset with Will Truman, what exciting character lies ahead? Maybe he's uh, positioning himself for the Fuller House uh, reboot of Will and Grace. Willer and Gracer? <laughs> yes. there you go all right so uh mike bloom thank you so much uh we'll be back with rich tackenberg next week also and also thanks so much to uh scott st pierre who gets the audio podcast version of the show up for you guys on post show recaps you can make sure you subscribe to post show recaps go to postshowrecaps.com slash itunes or for the snl only podcast feed go to postshowrecaps.com slash snl itunes Have a good week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week when we talk Ariana Grande on the SNL Recap Podcast. Have a good one. Bye.